Welcome to the Dialoguing Life Podcast, the podcast designed to get you talking about the interesting and contentious parts of our life together. I'm Peter Nauta, and this is episode number one. That's right, our very first episode, which is an interview with the retired judge, Yosh Yamanaka. He talks about how and why he became a judge and what it was like. In the second half of the podcast, Yosh recalls times when the people making claims exposed themselves as frauds. This podcast is part of the Dialoguing Life community, a place where people can share their experiences and discuss heated topics without the vitriol found on many social media sites. Let's get to the conversation. You've had a lot of interesting chapters in your life. I'm sure if you look back on it, there's sort of discrete chunks of of things, and and hopefully uh, this podcast takes off, and over the course of time, we can talk about various chapters. Okay. Um, But for today, I'll I'll focus on your career as a judge, which I believe was your sort of final career, and so you're a retired judge, Yoshi Amanaka. Correct. So uh, tell me about that, about how and why you became a judge. Well, at at the time, uh, I had been a workers' compensation attorney for a number of years. And after five years of specialization, you are eligible to apply for an administrative law position in that particular area that you've specialized in. I was specializing in workers' compensation, and that happens to be a, a very volume practice, which means that you don't get a lot of time to write these brilliant letters and demands and briefs and all of that. You've just got to, got to hit and run, hit and run, hit and run, because you might have 20 files or more coming across your desk every day. I was feeling overwhelmed by the volume of work coming through, and I decided, well, it's time to make a change. And, and that was the primary impetus for me, moving from representing injured workers to uh, applying to be a workers' compensation judge. Now, the the process is that you file a written application saying, yes, I have at least five years of specialization. Then an interview is scheduled, and there's three people. One person from personnel, state personnel, has a tape recorder, and he or she is recording the whole testing process. Then you have probably two attorneys who are providing you with questions for you to answer. And after they've given you the oral question, then you, you have time to give them a written response. Once you, you clear that hurdle, the next step is to be interviewed by various presiding judges. And I went to this interview, and there were about 10 presiding judges, all giving me a specific question, which I had to answer. So it was 10 on 1. It was a, a little bit uh, intimidating. Sounds it. And I didn't do all that well, I I admit that. Uh, But uh, the presiding judge at the Los Angeles Appeals Board knew of my reputation, or she went back and asked her staff, her judges, and they said, yes, Yamanaka did a a credible, fine job. So she offered me the position, and I, I took it, and I was a judge for 16 years. 16. That's a good chunk of time. Yes, it was. I was shooting for 20, but uh, my wife insisted that I take early retirement. Uh, she's a good person to listen to. Yes. Now, let's say I, I decided, hey, that sounds interesting. I want to be a judge. Would there be a way to get there without being a lawyer for a while first? I mean, I, I don't think I'd know what I was doing otherwise, but 
So the short answer is no, you couldn't. <laughs> you still need five years of specialization, whether it's labor law or it could be um, social security law where it might be immigration law, but you still need to specialize for five years, usually as an attorney, before you would do something like that, make an application. And then go in front of the 10 judges. That's correct. So you said uh, as an attorney for workers' compensation, so you're representing injured the injured workers. workers. Correct. And you had quite the caseload. I, I can't imagine the caseload got lighter when you became a judge. Uh, yes and no. The typical judge's work week is you've got, say, three days of the week you have conferences. And those conferences mean that you have 20 cases in the morning and another 20 or so in the afternoon. And this happens three days out of the week. The fourth day is a, a trial day, and you might have up to six trials. And the Friday is your uh, decision day, which means that you do not see attorneys. You just sit there in your office and you write your opinion on the various cases that have come before you. Certain trial days are very easy. Other trial days are very difficult. The rare occasion during the year where everything settles, you might a judge's work might be completed by 9.30 or 10 a.m., but of course, you still have all those decisions that you have to decide, which are in the pipeline. And then on decision day, you know, you've got that full eight hours just to consider your decision, do your research, and, and write up your opinion. With all those cases that you're reviewing in a given week, is it is it hard to keep them all straight? Not really. Uh, I was a pretty meticulous judge, so all of my trials have a little outline that I I prepare usually the, the day before. And so by the time I start the trial at 8.30 or 9 o'clock, I already know what the basic facts are, what the arguments should be. Then it's an issue of witness credibility and things like that, which really determine the outcome. I imagine that it feels like a lot of responsibility. It is, uh, and different judges handle that responsibility differently. I've known one co-worker who hated to make decisions, and that's not a, a good, comfortable place to be if you're a judge, Yeah, because that's really the nature of your work, is to, to make decisions, whether it's granting a motion to quash a subpoena or allowing a medical examination and so forth. So you're you're required to make decisions day in and day out. So if you don't like making decisions, it puts you in a pretty uncomfortable position. So then I'd imagine there's, you know, California law, there's probably a lot to know about workers' compensation, what the various laws, rules, regulations, all of that are. And I assume they change from time to time. Change is the name of the game, actually. How much of it did it feel like you were interpreting and setting a precedent by your decision? It's kind of hard to put a percentage on it. I would say maybe 5 or 10% is something where that specific area of the law is vague or unstated. And you've got to make your best judgment on you know which way one should rule. And I guess I did issue... 
two decisions which became law, thereby interpreted and created law at that point. So some power there as well. A little bit of power, not much. <laughs> okay, and th this is one I think we've we've spoken about in the past a little bit, but uh, as, as the evidence is presented to you, I, I'm sure there are certain cases where you, you maybe have a bad feeling or for whatever reason don't sort of necessarily like the way something is going, but you have to rule in favor of, of a certain party. Can you speak right. on that? Right. We're all human. Judges are human, and not all attorneys are the same. And actually, you see, you see the same attorneys in this particular system. You see the same attorneys month after month, year after year. So you know their personality, their attack style, just how aggressive they are, uh, how outrageous they might be. And so that's going to color the way you hear their arguments. But in final analysis, the law has to, has to hold sway. And I'll give you a specific instance. After I was appointed to the bench, a junior partner in my previous law firm, he and I developed an antagonistic relationship. Uh, and he would present cases, but his opposing counsel on, on the defense side was pretty incompetent. And defense counsel kept making mistake after mistake after mistake. And even though applicant's attorney had a negative feelings towards me, I always ruled in his favor or in his client's favor because he always had the law in his favor. As a judge, basically, yeah, we all have feelings, but you still have to follow the case law and follow the evidence. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Yosh. If you have opinions or questions about it, please drop by Dialoguing.life to share them. We're a community that engages in civil dialogue on contentious issues. Notes and discussion about this episode can be found at Dialoguing.life slash one. And now, back to the conversation. I, I assume you're assessing people, right? Assessing their motives, assessing the validity of their arguments. The primary assessment comes with the witnesses. Hmm. witness credibility. I remember several cases where, well, one case in particular where the injured worker was really personable and credible, and it seemed to me that his claim of cumulative trauma, microtrauma to his spine, his low back, was probably compensable. But the witness made a mistake. Uh, he was in a very heavy chair sitting on a carpet. And when the questioning changed from one attorney to the other, he shifted his chair without lifting it up. And a person with a back injury would never do something like that. So his, his case just dissipated in that one split second. Hmm. There are other things. I remember a sub rosa, which is a, a videotape taken surreptitiously. This one claimant uh, had gone to a coffee shop got his coffee to go, and he was reading his newspaper with coffee cup in hand, but he was walking on the sidewalk. He probably walked two blocks on the sidewalk while reading his newspaper. Now, a person with a, a serious back injury would not take that kind of a risk. And so that case went out the window because of that sobrosa. 
There was a third case I remember where a woman was claiming she needed Pilates. And I was skeptical. But what happened was that defense counsel made some comment which she agreed with. And so she lunged at him and said, yes, that's right. And she she apparently wanted to be as supple as a, an Olympic gymnast. And I, I felt that that was unreasonable. She did not need all that Pilates treatment. Were there any trials that left any kind of emotional impact on you? Probably the last trial that I, I had to decide. And I had um, made a decision. First, I made a, a defense finding. And then I decided I was wrong. So I said no. After appeal, I said, okay, Aptkin is right. I made a mistake, or I was in error, and I fined for the injured worker. Uh, but my retirement was in the works, and I was, I was leaving the bench. And so even though I filed a response and tried to defend my opinion, San Francisco ultimately vacated all of that and assigned it to a new judge and suspected that the conservative judge would come down with a defense verdict. And that that hurts me to this day. I, I wish that I had given the injured worker what she deserved hmm. from the get-go instead of waffling and uh, letting some other judge make that decision. If somebody is thinking about becoming a judge, maybe that comes out of the blue or they see something on TV or for whatever reason, what, what advice would you give them? Well, I guess several things. One is you have to be willing to make the tough decisions. Secondarily, you have to be committed, dedicated enough to to do your job and not dodge your assignments. Those are the weaknesses that I see in my coworkers. Other than that is, well, I think most attorneys who have specialized would like to make a transition in onto the bench because it's much easier on the bench. The money is not as good as private practice, but the workload is easier. Uh, And for me personally, that kind of workload where you're spending your time deeply delving into the evidence and the law and spending your time drafting your opinion, that's more to my own personal taste instead of just dashing off a letter or a demand without doing all of your research. That was not my style. Before we start to wrap up, is there anything else about your time, your experience that that you'd like to share? Well, the one thing I would say is that for me personally, I treated my secretary as a team partner and not as some lower underling. I would go out of my way to make my secretary's job easier. I would, for instance, cases are designated by numbers. And it it might be a string of eight or nine numbers. And if those numbers are incorrect, the secretary would have a great deal of difficulty trying to identify which what is the correct number for this particular injured worker. Perhaps 1% of the time, the numbers are wrong. But me taking five or 10 seconds to check the number saves my secretary five or 10 minutes later. So just going out of my way to make my secretary's job easier, that was something that I tried to do consistently. Sounds like a good idea. 
I imagine it helps having that more amicable relationship. That helps. And she understood my personality, the way I wanted things, and we worked really well as a team together. Neat. What would her job be then? Is, is it to make sure you have the right files in front of you at the right time? She would pull files. She would uh, match medicals to files. Actually, she would format my, my decision. So if I say, well, the, the worker is entitled to temporary disability, you know, at such and such a rate from this period to that, that particular date, she would format things so that anyone reading it could make sense out of it. Hmm. So actually, she does a lot of polishing. Something that do in my family when we're looking back on some things, we like to think about where the, the high point, the low point, and the lesson learned. So I'll ask you that. I think you probably already told me the low point. Yes. The low point was my last case on the bench when I didn't get to, to close the case in, in the injured worker's favor. And some of the high points in, in my career were making, making decisional case law. And my decisions were upheld even years later. The judge's position in, in workers' compensation is to favor the injured worker. And so you're in a position where you're able to try to get the, the work, injured worker the benefits that he or she is entitled to. Hmm. And that was satisfying. Any uh, major lessons learned? I guess I should have been more amicable on the bench. I was known as a very strict judge, but uh, and that kind of evolved over the years. And the stricter I became, the, the more resistance I felt from the attorneys. And so it became a little bit adversarial. And it was not a particular applicant attorney or defense attorney. It was certain parts of the bar on both sides of the bench. You're a stickler. I was. I confess I was a stickler. We'll switch gears a little bit and, and wrap it up. Um, but your most recent endeavor is the, the charity work you've been doing. I, of course, would like to have you on another uh, recording to, to discuss that. But can you give a brief overview of, of what that is? Sure. Uh, my work uh, is takes place in the PDR, People's Democratic Republic of Laos. and. Many people do not know that Laos was heavily bombed during the Vietnam War, and at the end of the war, there were still nearly 80 million anti-personnel bombs littering the countryside. So I've been working on bringing attention to that. I'm presently finishing up a documentary on unexploded ordnance and victims of UXO, and after completing the documentary, I plan to revert to direct victim assistance and help them start their own mini marts in their villages because that's a very successful business model. When is the documentary expected to be completed? Early this year. Must be exciting because I know you've been working on it for a while. Yes, a number of years actually. <laughs> Thanks for being a part of our very first episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Yoshio Manaka about what it's like to be a judge. Notes and discussion about this episode can be found at dialoguing.life slash one. Dialoguing Life is a community for productive conversations where people can share their experiences and discuss heated topics without the vitriol found on many social media sites. Join the conversation at dialoguing.life. Thanks for listening. <laughs>